I'm about to say I've never meant more sincerely. It's really good to see you. Like it really is. I was telling uh, somebody earlier, like I was excited to not have to preach at a camera this week. Um, but I completely underestimated how much I missed you. Like I mean that sincerely. Like it is such a joy just to see your eyes, to hear your voice, to see some of you are smiling. Like that's good too. I like that. Um, but, but at the same time, there are still a lot of our folks who are watching right now online. We're recording our services for them. And, uh, and so if that's you, hey, we totally understand why you're not here, but just know that wait, we miss you and we can't wait to be gathered together as God's people, whole and complete everybody. And so we're looking forward to that day. Um, those of you who've been able to make it out today, thank you for being here. Um, it truly is a, a step in that direction. And so thanks for being here and being a part of it. And we know it hasn't been super convenient. There's just been like, we're having to sit in groups and all the things we're having to do. Um, but just thankful that you're willing to, to, to be a part of what God is doing here. So thank you for being here today. A um, couple things. We're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning. Uh, we're still in the gospel of John. We will be for a while. Um, now, coming into uh, the last couple of months, this whole COVID shelter-in-place situation, doing church services online, we had no idea what the, what the date would be for the first Sunday to get back together would be, right? And so all along, I'm looking at the calendar, I'm looking at the sermon series, and, and honestly, I was, I was tempted to say, you know what, on the day we get back together, let's change the sermon series, let's do something new, let's start fresh, and, and, and that, that lasted about 30 minutes, and the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, no, I haven't changed my plans. Like, stick to the sermon series, stick to where we are. And so, uh, and so I, this week, I got into John 6, picking up where we left off, getting ready to meet with you. And notice this, this primary theme in what we're going to read today is Jesus uh, challenging the people who've gathered together uh, for, for, his, for what he can do, and he's challenging their motives on why they get back together. And I thought, really, God? Like, our first Sunday back together, and, and you want me uh, to present scriptures that are going to challenge our motives for why we're getting back together. And God quickly said, yes, yes, this is where we are. And, and so I just want to let you know up front, we're going to get to a place today where I'm going to ask you, like myself, to really think about our, your own salvation and even to question the authenticity and the sincerity of your faith in Jesus. And, and this, is, this is where we've been headed now for several months, and I think it's no mistake that this is where God wants us to pick up where we left off in terms of meeting together. And so we'll be in John chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 22. And so I want to begin in verse 22 through 24. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus." So just give you a little background. In the first half of chapter six, what has happened? Uh, this is where the, the large crowd gathered there on the side 
uh, on the mountainside of the Sea of Galilee, this, and, and Jesus performed this miracle of feeding the multitudes. Now, the number is 5,000, and we know that that was 5,000 men, so the crowd itself was actually much larger than that, probably 15 to 20 or 25,000 people had gathered uh, to see what Jesus would do and to hear what Jesus had to say. And this is where Jesus performed this miracle. He took just a few loaves of bread and fish and he fed the multitudes. Later on that afternoon, there's a boat there. Jesus tells his disciples to get in the boat uh, to head across the Sea of Galilee and he remained there to dismiss this crowd. And so we're picking up on the story the next morning, the crowd of people, they awaken there. Some of them had stayed the night where the miracle happened. They wake up, they realize, hey, where's Jesus? He's not here. Uh, There was only one boat here. We saw him put the disciples in it and send them to the other side. So where did he go and how did he get there? Something else is happening here. Uh, We noticed that not all of the crowd stayed uh, there, and some of them went back maybe to their home villages and towns. Some went back to Tiberias and had begun to spread the word of what Jesus had done in the feeding of the multitudes, and now they're getting in boats to come over to this place and check it out. So that's what's happening. People are waking up. They're like, man, that was so cool yesterday. I'm hungry. Are you hungry? Yeah. Where's Jesus? Where's, the, where's breakfast? And they look up and like, well, Jesus is nowhere to be found. And the boat that the disciples were in, it's gone. Jesus stayed here. Where did he go? And other boats have begun to show up to see what was happening. They had heard. And so like Jesus is trending before social media around the Sea of Galilee. Like word is spreading fast. Well, we know that Jesus came to his disciples in the middle of the night, walking on water, gets into the boat with them, and they miraculously reached their destination. So now they're in Capernaum. So what's going to happen now is this crowd is going to begin to say, well, you know, I I heard they left and I heard they were headed across the sea. They're probably headed to Capernaum. Let's go there and see if we can find him. So they begin to get in these boats with these other people and travel across the sea. And we know that when they find Jesus there in Capernaum, he's actually in the synagogue teaching. We know that from later on in the chapter. Verse 59 says he's in the synagogue teaching teaching. And so we'll pick this back up now with the crowd or a portion of this crowd reaching Capernaum where Jesus is at, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Okay, so here's what's happening. They've they've found Jesus, they've come to him, and their opening question is, like, how in the world did you get here? Tell us about it. And his response to them is really interesting. Because he says what? You didn't come here seeking me because you saw signs. You came here because yesterday afternoon, you had a really good meal. You ate your fill. You were satisfied with what I provided yesterday, and that's what you're looking for. So what's interesting about this is that there's been been this recurring theme so far in the Gospel of John, where we see a, a distinction between those who are following Jesus with sincere faith versus the large crowd just following him for the miracles that he performs, the signs. Right, we've seen that all along. People gathered because of the signs, but not actually looking at what the signs are pointed to. So we talked a few weeks ago about that would be like being on a hike through the wilderness and losing sight of your trail and getting lost for a few hours. 
and you begin to get nervous, and you're working hard, you're getting sweaty, you're wondering how long is it going to be before I find my destination, and finally you make your way back to the trail, and you see a sign nailed to the tree pointing to your destination, and you're so excited that you go over to the sign, you kiss the sign, you rip the sign off the tree, and then you take it back home with you, and completely miss what the sign is pointing to, and now something else is happening. These, these folks aren't even gathering around Jesus because of the signs anymore. They're just interested in this temporary satisfaction that they want Jesus to provide for them. Now, here's the interesting thing about the miracles that Jesus performs. Not always, but, but often, the miracles that Jesus performs have a temporary effect. So, so think, I'll use Lazarus for an example. Raise Lazarus from the dead. It's a powerful miracle, Right? But Lazarus had to die again. Like that miracle was not permanent, right? So Lazarus's hope couldn't be in this temporary resurrection. He had to be looking forward to what? An eternal resurrection. So all the, the people who've been healed, that received sight, these are all temporary things. So now go back to the feeding of the multitude. Very temporary, right? I mean, less than 24 hours later and they're hungry again. Right? This miracle from Jesus, this real from God miracle brought temporary satisfaction. Now I say this because the temporary satisfaction that comes from these miracles that God does in our lives is meant to point us to something eternal. Right? So when God works in your life to maybe bring hope or peace or joy, maybe he heals a disease in your life. Maybe does this dramatic work of reconciliation in a relationship in your life, right? On the surface, you go, well, that's temporary, but that temporary experience is meant to point you something somewhere eternal. Like there's an eternal work God wants to do in you that's below the surface. So go back to the feeding of the multitudes. Yes, that was a short-term satisfaction, but it was meant to open their eyes to things eternal, Right? It was meant to, to display who it was performing the miracle and if they could see not just the sign, but who the sign was pointed to, there could be an eternal work that would take place in their lives. You with me? But we see clearly that as soon as they gather there in the synagogue, Jesus exposes their hearts. You guys weren't even here because of the signs. You're here because you enjoyed the meal yesterday. You're here because you're hungry again. What satisfied you yesterday in a temporary sense is now gone and you, you want me to do that again. And so Jesus confronts the motives of the crowd. Now let's look at verse 27 together. So Jesus is gonna now point them in the right direction. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, well, what must we do to be doing the work of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now here's what Jesus does. He uses this, this food metaphor to, to draw distinction between the temporary and the eternal. He said, here's the problem. And you could almost change this word work out for seek after or pursue. You're seeking after, you're pursuing temporary food. You should be seeking after pursuing, working towards eternal food. And make no mistake that eternal food comes from the one who brought you temporary food yesterday. 
that you're, you're so caught up in this thing I did that you're missing that I'm the one who can give you eternal life. Now, he uses the word work here. It's not a bad translation. It could translate labor. You work after you labor, which really resonates with, with us because we are workers. We're doers. We like to know what's expected of us, what you want us to do, whether that's a marriage relationship, a friendship, a work relationship. Tell me what my things are so that I know I'm meeting your expectations. Then I know we're good, right? So a lot of our relationships are built on doing and working, and so Jesus says here, quit working for things that are temporary, work for things that are eternal. And so the crowd's like, okay, great. Give us the list. What things do we need to do? And Jesus' answer is simple and profound. He answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Okay, what else is on the list? No, no, no. That's the problem here. You guys are willing to do everything else. You're willing to follow me across this entire region, right? You're willing to trust that I can give you food, but here's the one thing you lack. You don't believe in me. And so at the heart of this, right, Jesus is questioning the sincerity of their faith in him. This is what they were missing. Now, for us as a church, I think this is a really important time for us to take a step back and ask some really important foundational questions. Why is it we're so excited to get back together? What is it that draws us in this place? Why have you come today? And on one hand, that can almost seem offensive, right? Like, shouldn't you be glad I'm here? Like, what do you mean, why am I here? I'm here for the same reason everybody else is here. And yet, Jesus makes no takes no hesitations in saying, let's talk for a minute about why you're here. What is it that you are after? And so I think for us as a church, this is a really fertile time for us to ask these foundational questions. When we missed being together, what was it that we missed? What was the longing in our heart that we were hoping to fulfill? Was it a temporary satisfaction that we were looking for? Meaning we get together today, we see each other, we feel all warm and cozy and, and there's joy in seeing one another, but guess what? We won't see each other tomorrow. See, that's a temporary satisfaction. Or at the heart of it, was there something else drawing us here as the people of God, this sacred gathering of the people of God gathered together to exalt Christ? Because see, that's eternal. That doesn't go away tomorrow, right? That, that stays day after day and sustains us. This belief, this faith in who Christ is. I'm gonna ask you to do something today. I want you to evaluate your own salvation. And on one hand, if you feel the, ten, like the temptation to get defensive, what do you mean, question myself? I've been a Christian since six years old. Like, Okay, that response has pride in it, right? So the idea from the scriptures is that like in Philippians 2.12, Paul says that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, that phrase does not mean that you should be scared all the time hoping that you're saved. It's a call to humility and submission. It's the sense that we would never lose the sense of gratitude that Christ has saved us. And so we welcome that invitation to revisit our salvation. A, if our salvation is not sincere, right, that gives us the opportunity to be saved, which is what's happening for this crowd. 
B, if we are saved and our, our faith is sincere, it allows us to, to recapture the joy of that, right? That, that salvation, this, this, this beautiful thing that God has done. And so there should be a humility in us as Christians that welcomes this call to revisit the sincerity of our faith, that we wouldn't be defensive and, and prideful, but we would truly take some time today to think about it. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, there is no greater question that you could ask yourself, who do I believe that Jesus is? This is what he's saying, believe in him who has been sent to you. And if you are a Christian, right, what a beautiful thing for us to do together, right? To revisit that beautiful salvation work that God has done in us and, and this overwhelming sense of gratitude. You saved me, a dirty wretch like me. And we do this together. There's some things that I would encourage you to think about as somebody might say, well, what does it look like to really evaluate your own salvation? I think it begins, first of all, with who you believe Jesus is. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? Okay, nothing else matters beyond that question unless you answer that question first. Like your church attendance, how much money you give to the poor, your service for others, like if we can't answer that question first, nothing else matters, right? You, you realize that you don't take your accolades from this life into the next, right? Like entry into heaven, it's not gonna be a question of how many great things you did for God and did you show up the first Sunday after COVID like a real Christian? Like that's not gonna be asked of you. The question is gonna be, what did you do with Jesus? That's what matters, do you believe that, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God? With that, do you believe in what he's done for you, that he died on the cross and three days later resurrected from the grave? If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian, you're not in Christ. It's not enough to say, well, I believe in the death, I'm kind of holding out on the resurrection, I'm not quite sure. Because like, if, if all Jesus did was die for us, that's inspiring, it's noble, it's moving even, right? But it does nothing to fix us. Like there's a sin problem, a death problem in us and the resurrection is critical, why? Because that's where Jesus overcomes sin and death that, that in a very personal way, you and I might receive that, right? So do you believe that Jesus died for your sins and resurrected from the grave overcoming sin and death? A third thing I'd ask you to consider is just the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And listen, this is a really helpful and healthy perspective to have as a Christian every day of your Christian journey. Where is the Holy Spirit working in me? And, and so as you think about what does that mean for the Holy Spirit to work in me? That like I, I never mess up, I never sin. Like, no, what we're talking about first of all is that there is the evidence of conviction of sin. Like that is evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Not are you perfect and do you never sin, but when you do sin, do you feel a conviction like I've broken the holy commands of God and I have this need of, to, to, to confess that, to own that, to seek forgiveness in that? If that's true in your life, hey, that's the Holy Spirit working. You don't, you don't convict yourself of sin. It's the Holy Spirit working in you. We look for fruit of the Spirit, peace, patience, joy, self-control. Again, we're not looking for perfect living. What we're looking for is evidence of the Holy Spirit working in us. This is why we are to, one of the reasons why we are to live our Christian life within the context of biblical community. 
So if you're a Christian in a household and the rest of the household are not Christians, that's not biblical community, okay? So, so that's where the church can come in and surround you. You can have brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're married, I hope that you're married. If you're a believer, you're married to a believer because this is so helpful. Here's a couple of reasons why that's helpful. One, we have a hard time seeing the work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. We do. Oftentimes we will call things the Holy Spirit that aren't the Holy Spirit. Like I can convince you for 30 minutes up here on stage, maybe that I'm a humble person, but then go talk to my wife who spent all day with me yesterday, right? And she's gonna know the truth. You with me? But on the same, in the same way, I will oftentimes miss the work that God is doing in my life because it's happening slowly over time. And it's somebody who knows you well, who can say, listen, I know you don't see this, but here's how you've changed. Here's who you used to be. And here's where Christ is changing you. So the evidence of the Holy Spirit, right, may be hard for you to evaluate on your own. Welcome a spouse or a friend, a brother in Christ into that conversation, a sister in Christ, and really talk about that, right? Not so you can build one another up, but so why? you can give God glory. Like the goodness you see in my life, like that's God working. So let's talk about that evidence of the Holy Spirit working. I hope that's, that's it's helpful for you to think about even your own salvation. Now, the question that's asked here um, is very similar to the question asked in um, Acts chapter two. This is where the church launches Peter preaches in Jerusalem, this first public sermon of the church, and the people are cut to the heart, and they say to Peter, what must we do? And so this is a great question to ask, but do you, hear, do you hear what's embedded in that question? What do I need to do? What do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to make God like me? What do I need to do so that, that I'll know that God is proud of me? And Jesus quite simply answers that question for you and for me. Here's what you need to do. You need to believe. Well, what else? You need to believe. Because unless you believe that Jesus is the Christ, nothing else will matter. God's not gonna applaud you for being the first ones to attend church after COVID. It's gonna be, what did you do with Jesus? Now, there's something interesting here too I just wanted to point out. Um, so Jesus here uses the word seal. Did you notice that? He talks about how the Father's placed a seal on Christ. This is that, um, the idea of maybe a scroll or a parchment maybe rolled up um, in a way where you can't open its contents unless you break a seal. And they'd use like a hot wax and drip that hot wax on the, the parchment to keep it sealed. And then whoever had written it would take their like signet ring or stamp and they would press it into the soft wax. And so not only was the letter or the scroll or the parchment sealed, it, it, it displayed the authority of the one who had sent it. And so all these signs and miracles that Jesus is doing, um, they're meant to be seals. They're meant to be beautiful portraits of the father stamping his signature on Christ. So the day before when he fed the 5,000, what the people, even though that was, it brought temporary satisfaction, in other words, they got hungry again, the eternal work that God was doing is he was, he was showing the crowd, this is my son. And he placed his seal on Jesus. That's what they were supposed to see. The signature of the miracle, not, not this temporary thing that Christ was doing. When Jesus walks on water and he reveals himself to his disciples, it was a signature of the father saying, this is my son. And so this is what Jesus is saying here. You guys are completely missing this. The miracles that you're asking me to perform, like this is, what you're asking for is this, this signature of my heavenly father working in me. 
And so look at what they say back to Jesus in verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. Now, these two verses are dripping with irony, right? Because essentially he's saying, well, what sign and miracle can you perform? Which Jesus could have easily said, hey, remember yesterday, the big meal? Like, was, was that not enough? Like, to his disciples, I walked on water. How about the, the people I've healed? Like, what sign do I do? I've already performed signs. You've seen them. But further than that, what's interesting is they cite an Old Testament story where God miraculously provided manna in the wilderness for the nation of Israel as they were journeying away from Egypt toward the promised land. Now think about, if you know about that story, that the context of the Old Testament story is that they were wandering through the wilderness, following God's presence, right, towards the promised land. And then once they started to get hungry, they began to doubt God. And they said things like, did you bring us out here in the desert to starve to death? We'd rather go back to slavery in Egypt. Oh God. And so in the midst of this, and by God's grace, he provides manna in the wilderness. And that's what they're citing. So they're saying, hey, can you do something like that? You feel the irony in that, right? If I'm standing there next to Jesus, I'm like, what do you think he just did? Like, that's what he did yesterday. The same thing. God miraculously providing food for you. See how blind they were? Essentially, can you miraculously make food come out of nowhere? Because if you can do that, we'll believe in you. And Jesus is like, oh my gosh. Oh, you mean do it again? That's what I just did. That's why you're all here. You see how easy it is to stop short of what the sign is pointing to, right? To be so consumed with the temporary satisfaction that comes from the sign that you miss the one the sign is pointing to. And this story exposes that so vividly. Leaves us with this question for us, has Jesus done enough? If Jesus doesn't do anything else in your life, has he done enough to be your savior? Or are you still waiting on a sign? I, I will hear sometimes people who aren't Christians saying, yeah, I'm waiting on God to prove himself to me to give him a sign. That's essentially kind of a parallel to the story. But how many of us, even as believers, right? God calls us to do something that challenges our comfort. And, and we say, well, okay, well, I'll do it if you'll give me a sign whether that's God's calling you to maybe share your faith with a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, something that maybe you're nervous about doing, but you know deep inside he's calling you to do it, or God's calling you to sell all your stuff and move halfway around the world and live in a, in a third world village for the rest of your life sharing Christ or anything in between, right? Our propensity is to say, okay, show me a sign. I'm gonna lay my fleece out on the ground. Show me a sign and then I'll say yes. And, and I'm not saying that God doesn't work in confirmation, but hasn't he done enough? If he calls you, whether that's to cross the street and share the, your faith with your neighbor or cross the world and spend the rest of your life in Nigeria, hasn't Christ done enough? Because that's what's happening in the story here. 
Hasn't Christ, I mean, we can see it, can't we? You see it, you're like, wow, what an arrogant, ungrateful group of people asking Jesus. I know you're calling me to do this thing, right? Satan doesn't call me to share my faith with my neighbor. Come on, right? Like, uh, just, just show me that it's you and I'll start getting involved with church. Show me that it's you and I'll be more active in my faith. And, and then I have to look at myself and say, well, hasn't Christ done enough? And he has. Now, we're gonna land here in verses 32 through 34. Let's read this together. We're gonna look at Jesus' response to them. After they asked him for a sign, he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's pulling all that together. He's saying, listen, the, the, the sign you're asking for came from my father. He's the same one who showed you the sign yesterday. And these signs are pointing to me, to the one who came down from heaven to give life to the world. In verse 34, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Now, we're not gonna answer the question of the sincerity of that statement this week. It almost sounds like they're about to get it, right? Okay, that's what we want. And we'll come back next week to see what happens after this. But for today, right, for us, this is a time for us to ask ourselves these really honest foundational questions. First of all, am I a Christian? Well, how do I know? Well, who do I believe Jesus is? Do I believe that he's the son of God? What do I believe Jesus has done? Do I truly believe in the death, burial, and resurrection? Is there any evidence of the Holy Spirit working in me? Not that I'm a perfect person, I'm the all-star Christian, but are the things happening deep inside of me that reveal God is working? And if you're not sure if you can answer that question, invite a brother or sister in Christ into that conversation and just ask, show me where you see, do you see the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in me? Help me see it. I'm gonna leave off with two stories and then um, we're going we're gonna to wrap up with some reflection questions. Um, I'll never forget, I know that not everybody in the room has, had, has been to seminary, but a few of us have. A few of you are in seminary. Um, so seminary is um, a post-education experience, like post-college experience that equips men and women for ministry, right? So you would assume everybody who registers for classes in seminary is paying money to go to school here is a Christian, a believer, right? You'd assume that. Well, um, so at Southwestern University here in, in Fort Worth, um, the first chapel of each semester, I assume they still do this when I was there, um, the first chapel of each semester, the president would preach an evangelistic message and call people to be saved. And this caught me off guard. I was like, what are you talking like, We're all Christians, right? And like, there were people in the room who got saved. And, and, I, and it happened the next semester. I'm like, wow. Like you would assume, right? It made me think about even my childhood experience when I became a Christian as a teenager, the church that I went to um, still did the once a year revivals. If you've, if, you, if you've been a part of that, you know what that is. But basically we all get together in the evening for a full week and we bring a pastor in from out of town uh, to preach to the church and, and basically um, call us to do things that the pastor didn't have the courage to call us to do. And, and so, um, no, I'm just kidding. But something happened. I'll never forget my first revival experience 
one of our deacons got saved. And y'all, not only was this guy a deacon in the church, like he was the kind of guy that people looked to as an example, a pillar. And I'll never forget how that rocked our faith, my faith, to take a step and go, whoa, I thought this guy was a Christian and he wasn't a Christian. And, 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 and on first glance, you think, wow, well, man, you were living a lie. And there was all this, the, the, Satan was all in the middle of that, trying to stir up dissension. But through it all, what came out of it is God sparked a revival through the church. Right, so this, this, this man who, who could have in his pride kept that to himself, could have said, you know what, Jesus, we'll work this out and behind the scenes, nobody else has to know, then I'll just step back into being a deacon and whew, right? No, he didn't, he said, you know what, church, you need to know something, I have been, I've been living a lie, but I want you to hear me right now today, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus as my savior. And what a beautiful expression of sincere faith that despite all the reasons why he might have kept that to himself or, or stayed right in the shadows with that decision, he did. He said, you know what, church, I want you to know. I'm a true follower of Jesus today. And as difficult as that was, right, we have to think about what's at risk there. And maybe that's you here today. Like maybe you've been like going to church for a while now maybe even have given the opportunity to serve and do ministry or lead. And, and so for you, if you're at that place right now where today you realize potentially, like, I may not be a true believer. Like there are gonna be a million reasons why you wanna convince yourself to keep it to yourself. And, and now imagine this crowd of people, how many thousands of people were in that same position. And we're gonna come back over the next two weeks and we're gonna see where many of them shrunk back from this. Right, rather than stepping forward in faith, they shrunk back. And listen, I wanna encourage you, if that's you here today, do not leave here today without taking a step to trust in Jesus as your savior. Do not let all the lies swirling around your mind, right, telling you that people are gonna call you a fraud, a phony, or you know, whatever it might be to keep you from taking that sincere step of faith to trust in Jesus as your savior. Listen, what's at risk is catastrophic. It is. And if you're here today and you've taken some time to think about your own salvation, you realize I am a Christian. I hope for you, like you're able to just recapture some of that, that joy of knowing that Christ has saved you. I wanna leave us with a few reflection questions. First of all, as we think about the crowd gathered in the synagogue, what is it that draws you together together as the church today? And there may be like a hundred reasons. It's great. Well, just think through that. Why, why, what means the most to you about being here? A second question I wanna ask us of us is this. Do you and do I believe that Jesus has already done enough to prove that he is the Christ? Or are we, are you waiting on him to do something more for you? And then this third question, that really is the Listen, this is the most important question you could ever answer. Have you come to the place in your life where you have trusted in Jesus as your savior? The most important question you could ever answer. God's asking us that question through John 6 today. So I wanna leave you with those questions and what we're gonna do a little bit different from normal, rather than having prayer partners at the front, um, our pastors are gonna be available over here by these doors and, and we've got an area here we can just slip outside and talk and pray with you. 
Um, whether you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I, I want to become a Christian. Dude, come on down. Don't let the lie of shame keep you from, from coming and grabbing one of us. Maybe something really going on in your life that you just really want our pastors praying over, you can come grab us for that. Any prayer needs or prayer concerns, come grab us. Maybe you've got questions about things going on. So just so you know, our pastors are gonna be right out these doors and we're here for you, okay? So we're gonna pray. Uh, as I'm praying, Jason, worship team, y'all can come back up. Uh, when I get done praying, like I said, pastors will be available. We'd, we'd be honored to talk with you and pray with you today. So let's do this. Um, Father, thank you for this very eye-opening foundational reminder of what it means to be a Christian. And God, even for those of us who, um, God, might confidently know that we are in Christ, that we have believed in you, Father, what a, a valuable time just to think about that together, what it means to be a Christian, and God, just to revisit the joy of how you've saved each one of us. And Father, right now, I wanna pray for any person here who has become maybe aware today that they aren't a Christian, that they've been following you from a distance, that they've been gathering together as the church, um, God, for the wrong reasons, that today would be a day that you would just draw them to yourself. God, that you would reveal your goodness to them. That, Father, they would take that step to trust in Jesus as Savior. So Father, we thank you for a chance to be together. God, thank you for reminding us of why this matters. May we not become a people who forsake or take for granted the privilege, the honor of gathering together as your people. Father, we pray for those who are still watching from home, God. God, they would hear your voice today, that you would work in their lives as well. Father, in, in that you would take what what we're walking through together and you would use it for our good, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name.